Montrospective and Thrive Once More are proud to present Self-Tember, a month that's all about self-care awareness and you. Each Tuesday, Montrospective is handing over the mic to some very special guest hosts who have advice, tips, and inspiration to share regarding your self-care. Follow at Montrospective on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and make sure to visit Montrospective.com for feature blogs and self-care resources. Self-Tember is your time to make a positive shift in your self-care. Enjoy. Dr. Ann Morgan of Thrive Once More is dedicated to guiding you towards a life of wellness based on holistic healing for the entire body. It's a multidimensional path to wellness, focusing on your whole self so that your health journey can be as successful as possible. Dr. Ann Morgan's methods are simple and effective, bridging the gap between hormones and wellness counseling. Find out more by visiting thriveoncemore.com. I am so excited about this next episode. My guest has been an influential force in my life over the past year, but we only became friends a few months ago. Betsy Smith of Fearless Intuition introduced herself to you during episode six, and I know how much she has to share regarding spiritual self-care. It's an important element to your mental health and your personal growth. She is knowledgeable and full of inspiration, and I know this episode is going to be amazing. Betsy, welcome back to Montrospective. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I love talking to you anyway. Like I said, I have followed you for at least the past year. And then we became friends when I reached out to you about doing an episode um, after you'd done several readings for me personally and everything. And you have this amazing way of conveying what someone needs to do in their lives to take care of themselves. Because it's the last thing any of us do you know we 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 take care of other people first before we take care of ourselves so we'll start off just by defining it what does spiritual self-care mean to you i think the biggest thing and the word that keeps on coming to me is committing to yourself and giving yourself permission to take care of what you need to take care of to make you feel good Spiritual self-care isn't, there isn't like a definition for it because it's a brand that you have to put on for yourself. And it's, it's so funny. I I have to bring up the fact that today is the irony day that we're doing the mindfulness. (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't, it honestly, it wouldn't be reality if we didn't talk about it. So one of the things about, about today and and having to take care of my own spiritual self-care is I was, um, I had an acupuncture appointment this morning. And that was running late. And then I had a reading and then we were going to get together to do this and everything was running late and everything was running late. Every single moment I had to like reset myself and become, you know, be intentional in that moment again and reset myself and reset myself. So having that mindfulness um, and, and being so self-aware of what you're doing, especially with the energy that's going on right now, because everything is so super chaotic it was, it was kind of like amazing that, (laughs) okay, let's, let's refresh. (laughs) Let's refresh even my brain, even, even uh, what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, And I think that that's a lesson for all of us is that if we're not practicing it ourselves, that it's very difficult to be able to convey it to somebody else on, on how to do it. But um, you know, the, the thing that I have found for myself, um, the spiritual self-care that I have, um, is 
it's not a schedule. It's not about having, okay, I'm going to do yoga at six o'clock in the morning. And then I'm going to go running at this time. And then I'm going to do my meditation. And then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do that. It's about allowing the day to unfold the way that it's supposed to and um, committing to each moment for yourself. Um, And I think that that's probably the biggest thing about mindfulness and spiritual self-care because people think that you have to even place spirituality into a box and spirituality is you like you are what you're the energy that you're going through um, every single day. So um, yeah, um, having a mindfulness discussion and a spiritual self-care discussion today is so on brand for me. It's, It's kind of funny. Um, well, so many people want to achieve mindfulness. They would love to let the day just unfold. And that was a challenge for me when I started learning all of this early on, because I'm a planner, I'm a scheduler, you know, I've been in event planning my entire life. So to not have a schedule gives me an anxiety attack. But a couple of years ago, when I started this journey, I started to really understand that, it's a lot better if you just let things unfold. You can have a general idea of how you want things to go, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen like that. So going back to the whole mindfulness thing for people who are just at the beginning of all of this and really beginning to understand, what sort of practices do you recommend people start that can bring them to that self-awareness? Well, one of the things, and I did talk about this in the blog that I um, am hoping people will read as well. Um, One of the things that um, mindfulness, uh, you can practice it is in meditation. And the question that I have all the time is, I can't quiet my mind. Betsy, I, I, I would love to meditate. I would love to be quiet. I would love to get still. I would love to feel the flow and the energy, but I can't quiet my mind. And I say, but you're not supposed to quiet your mind those thoughts that are coming up for you, those are the things that you're supposed to be dealing with in the real world, in the, in, in the third dimension, when you're not in meditation. Um, meditation, when you first start doing something like that, and meditation is a practice where you don't have to like sit there on a pillow and put your hands in prayer position or put your hands out and go, oh, that's not necessarily meditation. Meditation is just about existing in the moment, paying attention to your breath, closing your eyes, Um, really just feeling the space that you're in. That's meditation. It can last two minutes. It can last 20 minutes. It can last an hour, depending on how you feel within that, within that um, energy space in that time frame. And the way that I help people to start with their meditation practice is to, so (laughs) I have a, I'm a, I'm a Virgo, so I'm a planner as well. We are both ruled by Mercury. So that's what we do. We plan. Um, so what I do is I, I've called it cataloging your thoughts in meditation, because what happens when we get quiet is all of those things that we're supposed to be doing, going to the grocery store, picking out the paint colors for our living room. I have to take the car in to get fixed. I have to take my kids to school. I have to do whatever it is. It all comes rushing in all at once when we get quiet. And that's why people don't like to get quiet because they start to get really stressed out because they're like, oh my God, all these things I have to do. And so the first couple of times that you start meditating, all of these thoughts will come rushing in and you have to have a way to place them in your mind. So you acknowledge that they're there. You accept that you're having thoughts. You acknowledge that they're there. You don't judge them. 
it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing that, that you were late to get Tim to baseball practice. It's not a bad thing that you still haven't gotten the oil changed on the car. It doesn't matter. It exists. It's there. And then I have this thing in my brain because I am such a Virgo and I wanted to be a library teacher when I was younger. I have the, and I'm also aging myself. I have those catalogs with where you have the cards with the Dewey Decimal System in them. Um, so that's what it looks like in my brain when I'm meditating. And so when I have a thought of something that I need to take care of in the third dimension while I'm meditating, I tuck it away and then I thank it for, for it being there because I need to be aware of the thing that I need to take care of. And I tuck it away in my brain and I keep breathing and I go back to focusing on my breath. And then another thought comes in and I say, oh, oh, you're there too. Okay. So I tuck that away in my little Dewey Decimal catalog system and I go back to paying attention to my breath. And it's not something that you're just going to learn overnight to do. It's something, it's like riding a bike. It's like learning how to dance. It's like anything that you want to become good at, you have to practice and you have to, again, go back to committing to yourself. Meditation and mindfulness is a commitment. If you want to become more self-aware, if you want to become aware of your body and how you feel and the energy that's around you on a regular basis, you have to be able to commit. And that's the thing is we commit to everybody else, like you said, and we rarely commit to our journey and ourselves. So taking that time, whether it's five minutes or whether it's an hour every day and doing it the way that feels good for you. Um, I recognized the thing about myself is I don't like rules. <laughs> I am not a rule follower and I will like morals and values. Those kinds of rules are different than like the regular societal standards and stuff like that. So I tell people all the time, I'm like, you can't box me in. You can't put me into a category and say, oh, she's part of a spiritual community. I mean, you can certainly do that, but I guarantee you that there are going to be things that I do differently than other people in that spiritual community. And one of those things that I would say is if you are allowing yourself to think outside of the box and saying meditation, because if you look at meditation as a job or like, oh my gosh, I have to meditate to get, you know, if you're looking at it as a job, it's not going to be, you know, enjoyable for you. And, um, I actually, when I first started um, being a spiritual teacher, I didn't meditate a lot. It was something that I felt like I didn't need. I would be like, you know, I'm constantly up in the, the fifth dimension in the spiritual world anyway, so what do I need meditation for? And then I realized it wasn't about me connecting to spirit. It wasn't about me with that connection because I already had that. I lived that every day. It was about me connecting to myself. And being in your body and realizing that you need to have both connections um, because listening to yourself is what mindfulness is. It's committing to yourself. It's giving yourself permission to have those, those moments of your day. Um, now I am because of like the day that I had today, I was able to have, I have that, those mindfulness moments when I'm in the car, when I'm in the grocery store, when I'm making my lunch, whatever it is that I want to, you know, curling my hair. <laughs> it's like, it's in every single moment that I can like reset myself. Um, is it, is it a perfect practice? Absolutely not. But 
it's there and um, I catered it. I, I put it to myself. So um, well, I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm so happy that you said meditation is a practice. It's not anything that you're going to learn overnight. It's very frustrating, honestly, in the very beginning for someone like me, for somebody like you who has a very active brain and you're thinking about a hundred things at the same time, it's real easy to beat yourself up if you can't achieve, you know, that centeredness, that level of peace or whatever you want the first two times. Um, And there's also different types of meditation, you know, there's restorative yoga that can help you get to that um, meditative state. There's all sorts of different practices out there that you can do, but I would just impart on people to stick with it, you know, and like, you know, Betsy said, do what works for you. Don't worry about being perfect every single time because you're not going to be, but in those moments that you achieve that mindfulness, that you achieve that peace, um, that you can actually hear yourself think and, you know, get answers to questions that you have and all of those things, you'll be incredibly grateful and it's worth putting the time and energy into. Yeah. Well, and I, I have, um, you know, when people are, when people ask me, well, I don't have the time or I don't have this, or I don't have that, you know, I, 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 I'm always rushing. I'm always rushing. I'm always rushing. And that's the world that we live in is the rush, 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 rush. And it's not that we don't have the time. It's that we don't make the time. Uh, I'm a firm believer that time actually doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, I think that a lot of people would probably look at me and be like, you know, how is it that you can just live your life like based on the flow of, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I say, because, you know, everything is temporary and, and time is kind of an illusion anyways. You know, those days where it seems like everything is a lot slower, everything moves a little bit slower. And then there are those days that everything's really, really fast and you can't seem to, you know, oh my gosh, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. You just like look up and it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, That's why I say time doesn't really exist and we can flow in the energy. And, and so when you are giving yourself that commitment and saying, you know, I'm going to you know, take this time out and, and sit down with myself and have a conversation with me because that's really what it is. Meditation is about having a conversation with yourself, cataloging those thoughts and moving on. Um, and the other thing that I, I did want to bring up with that is when we don't commit to ourselves or give ourselves permission to do that, a lot of times that means that we don't have the healthy boundaries in our lives that we sort of touched on in the last podcast, um, talking about the healthy boundaries in our lives means that we aren't always and constantly doing things for other people. And we are again, committing and giving permission to ourselves to, um, do, to take care of ourselves and to a lot of, you know, once you start putting those boundaries up, a lot of people are going to look at you and be like, why are you being selfish? Why are you not taking care of me in this moment? What is it about, you know, what is it, you know, me, 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 me. And so then you start to see, oh, wow, you weren't really supposed to be a part of this journey for me anyways, because the second that I start paying attention to myself and I stop paying attention to you, that's when your attitude comes up or your anger comes up or that triggers you in some way. And, and that's how we recognize because a lot of people, 
um, don't see that, you know, we have people around us because there's almost this codependent, I need to take care of other people. And when we're taking care of other people, it's distracting us from taking care of ourselves. So we place up these boundaries and it's funny how the universe will show you very clearly when somebody isn't supposed to be in your life anymore. And we make excuses for it. Like, oh, no, no, we'll just take care of that another time. Or, oh, no, no, I'll just, you know, I'll, he's just having a bad day. She's just having a bad day. She's just having a moment, blah, 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 blah. But then it happens the next week. And then it happens again the next week. And the universe is like, what do I have to do? And so placing those boundaries for yourself are going to be a very clear indication. Um, and what do boundaries look like? Saying no. Saying um, I don't have the time saying, um, can we reconvene tomorrow? Saying, you know, whatever it is that you're having to do, um, or whatever it is that you're having to say, I need my energy in this moment and I cannot give it to you. The people in your life that are going to come back and, and look at you and say, well, but you should be paying attention to me. Is the, it's, it's clear that that is an energy that you don't need in your life anymore. This is such a key, important message for people to be hearing because that is the number one lesson I have learned from you over the past year is healthy boundaries. Because at first, you almost tend to feel guilty about eliminating somebody from your life who isn't supposed to be there because you've been there constantly helping them, holding their hand, doing whatever the case may be. But once you come to that realization that they were here for a season. They were here for a time. They serve their purpose. And it's okay to let that go if they're not a part of your journey. That's a huge eye-opener. And it actually has made my life so much freer and open and happier to have let certain people, ideas, whatever go and just make myself a little bit more of a priority. It doesn't mean I still don't take care of other people or myself or anything like that, but I can recognize now when something doesn't feel right. And if it doesn't feel right, I have the right, the opportunity to change it. And I, I just, I think that's a huge lesson. And you were one of the first people I ever heard address this and talk about it. What would you tell people that, okay, they get it. They get the concept of it, the whole healthy boundaries thing. Where would you say they start with <laughs> identifying those things and, and letting, letting go, of yeah. pe whether it's a people, an idea, workplace, whatever the case may yeah. be. Well, and because we hold on to, we have this idea in our head that our life is supposed to look a certain way. We get up, we go to work, we drive the same car, we drive the same direction, we come home, we take care of our kids, we put dinner on the table. And a lot, and I say we as I'm kind of mentioning more women, I guess, but men do the same thing. They get up, they go to work, they have to provide for their family, they come home. It's the same process every single day. And we don't actually stop to recognize until we're at our limit, where we're at our boiling point, where we're like, what about me? Why am I not taking care of myself? And had we started our day in meditation and we said, this is what's going to happen for, before we even look at our phones, before we do anything, the way that we, I would say, starting with healthy boundaries is because that, that's the problem is, you know, you can start a new relationship and have your boundaries already there, 
but most of us aren't just starting new relationships. Most of us are already in relationships. And so what you can do is start a conversation with whoever it is that's in your life that you feel like is pulling from you and pulling from you and pulling from you. And you say, clearly, you say, these are the things that I've recognized that I need to do for myself. I need to have a bath in the evening to be able to relax. I need to be able to have 30 minutes in the morning where I can go for a run. I need to be able to have this kind of time for my, you know, if you're at work and you say, you know, um, I have a specific eating schedule because of my diet and I have to have this sort of, when we are extremely transparent and we're open and we're honest and we have a conversation with people and we, then we start setting our boundaries there, you can really, really start to see the things in the areas in your life and the situations in your life that are going to um, cut like a, a fight against those boundaries that you're, you're creating. Um, for, uh, here's, here's a pretty good example. Um, so like, say you're a new mom and you want to be able to get up in the morning and you want to be able to go for a walk or you want to be able to go for a run or something like that. And you look at your spouse and you say, all I need three days of the week or four days of the week is for you to get up with the baby at night so that I can be refreshed in the morning to be able to go for my walk. And then I'll take the other days, how, you know, however it is that works well for you two. And then your spouse comes back at you and says, that's not going to work for me. And then, so you have to sit there and have that conversation and figure, but that's so uncomfortable. You know what I mean? It's so uncomfortable to tell, to look at people and say, I need this from you. Why is it so uncomfortable for us to tell people our needs? Because well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're afraid of what they're going to say or exactly. think or they're going to see weakness in you or something. Exactly. And yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is when we can't be fully transparent with the people and the things in our lives, we're always going to have that fear that they're going to leave us because, oh my gosh, what if they really knew how I felt? Oh my gosh, what if this, like I, I was um, really good. I call it my past life, <laughs> even though it's still in this lifetime. Um, before I transitioned to being, um, to really focusing and committing to myself, um, I was a people pleaser and I would not tell people when I was angry and I would brush everything under the rug and I would say, I was a yes man, whatever it is that I can do for everybody else, you let me know, da, 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 da. da. And then when, and, uh, when I started to transition and I started paying attention to myself and I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to do this and all of that. And I, I changed everything. My ex-husband, my now ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, he was like, oh, sure. I'm on board. Let you go back to school. You do all the things you do what you need to do. Get a job that where you're making less, you know, you don't have as much, you know, responsibility, da, da, da. And then once we got into it and I was going to school all the time. And I was working during the day and he had to have more responsibility at the house because we weren't fully transparent on how that transition was going to happen. And we shoved everything under the rug and we didn't have the conversation and we didn't talk about things out in the open. Like we should have um, telling each other how we felt about certain situations and certain conversations. It exploded. And, and, and I can look back at that now and I can say, man, so many things could have gone differently. That whole situation could have gone so much differently if he and I would have been more open about saying, this is how I feel. This is what I need. 
this is what I can't do. This is what I can do. Can we compromise and meet in the middle? Because now that we don't have to deal with each other on a regular basis, we're really good friends and we can compromise and we can raise our children, your, our child really well together because even though we're separated, because now it doesn't matter what he thinks of me. You know what I mean? I'm not married to him anymore. So it's not like he can really, he can have an opinion, but that's the thing is they actually, you know, when we, if we had that same kind of mindset, you know, this is my body, this is my energy, this is what I do. Yes, of course, I'm going to compromise with you, but you don't get an opinion on how I live my own life, even if we are married. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's not that I don't want you to take your spouse, uh, you know, obviously you have to take your people in consideration, but when does that consideration, when is there that line that we draw? So starting with the conversation and starting with transparency, that's where we, that's where the boundaries begin. And that's even a commitment to yourself. So it all really comes back to committing to yourself. Well, and don't you think more often than not, when you start that conversation with the other person, you find out if they're open to it, they're going to share things with you that they need that wouldn't have been brought up. And, you know, it starts that open dialogue. It starts that open conversation to healing or making things better or just showing some mutual respect for each other as well. Yeah, there's um, a really big disease that's going around in the married community sometimes because we don't want to ruffle feathers. And a lot of times we find out that when we are open and honest and transparent about how we feel about a situation, it's actually not as bad as the way we thought, as bad as we thought it was going to be. Um, creating that space for yourself to say, this is what I need. And this is, you know, this is the compromise that I would like to have with you feels so much more free than sitting in a room like uh, like ready to explode um I don't know that I could ever be in a relationship where we weren't being open and honest with each other anymore like that's not something you know and and then we have to go down the lines well what if they trigger me or you know they're being open and honest with me and then I have this trigger or I have this emotional reaction and that's like a whole other can of worms about, you know, mastering the detachment and, and recognizing that when you are having a conversation and you feel that trigger, that's a wound inside of you that you have to be able to, again, commit to yourself, figuring out what it is and allowing yourself to heal that part of you so that it doesn't continue to come up. But the only way that you're going to know that it exists is if that person is transparent with you and, and triggers that. What's amazing is every single connection that we have and every single conversation that we have with people is a lesson and a moment for us to learn something about ourselves. And it goes back to being mindful and being self-aware and allowing yourself to have that, that um, mindfulness and self-awareness. Throughout well, the day. and I know because you just said it, detachment and triggers is a rabbit hole. It is a huge rabbit hole that you took me down not that long ago when we did shadow work together. But as part of a self-care conversation and spiritual self-care conversation, I do want to go into it just a little bit, not, not way down the rabbit hole, but I think for me, it was so important 
to be honest with myself for the first time in my life. And it's something that I wouldn't have been able to do five, 10 years ago. It's only been in the last few years that I've done the work um, and I've been honest with myself that I felt comfortable enough to look at those wounds, look at those triggers and begin to understand where they came from. And that's when you can heal from it. That's when you can change your narrative. So can you just talk, touch on it just a little bit? I know that that's a whole separate podcast hour. I know it is, but yeah, but just Um, a little bit, a little bit. No, because it totally, it goes along with the mindfulness. It goes along um, with, with all of that. Um, So the whole idea of mastering detachment, it's not about not caring. And I think that that kind of is a convoluted because detachment already has a stigma to it. Like I'm going to detach myself from the situation. We're not numbing our emotions. We're still feeling our emotions. We're still feeling everything that's happening. We're feeling the trigger. We're feeling the moment. Detachment is about not taking it personal. And it, and because honestly, it's really nothing that anybody does. And this is like so controversial when I say this, nothing anybody does to us is actually personal. It feels personal because it is being directed at us. But when you stop and you think about it, so for example, what if somebody comes to you and they say, um, I don't know, Heather, I think that you um, need to be a little bit more less, you know, abundant or like whatever, you know, the, your energy is too big. You're, you're too big of a person. You're too loud. Blah, blah, blah. Um, which has been said to me before, (laughs) you're so big. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually really not. Um, because I'm a tiny little person, but, um, so somebody says that and it triggers you because there's a wound from your childhood where people would tell you you're being too much, you're being too much, you're being too much, which is kind of a self-worth wound that, that we get. But the thing about it is, is you're actually not too much. You're just too much for that person which means that person is actually not your person. So when somebody comes at us and they say, you're this, or you're this, or you're this, it is the perception that they have of who you are based on the knowledge that they think they have of you. Because you actually know everything about yourself. You are um, the vessel. You you are the intuition and the vessel of who you are. And everybody else has a perception of who you are. We only really give bits and pieces of ourselves to certain situations in our life. Like if I go to a party, I'm not going to show my entire cards, my entire deck of cards or my whole hand to every, like, they're not going to know everything about me. I'm not going to tell them about my past and, you know, all of the things and stuff like that. I might have certain conversations with people where they relate to me, but You're not going to spill yourself to everybody. So everybody's perception of you that they have is the perception that you gave them. And so everything that they're saying to you is based on their perception of you. And they will take offense to things and push it onto you and make that your trigger. And then you have to ask yourself, what is this? And that's a, that's a thing, the same kind of thing with the mindfulness, acknowledging that it exists without judging that feeling or that emotion. Oh, wow, man, that really kind of stung a little bit. Maybe I should look into why somebody telling me that I'm too big or I'm too much for them or I'm too big of an energy for them. 
I got to find out why that bothers me so much. And you detect instead of reacting, because you could easily react in that situation and say, I can't believe that you would say that to me. That's so rude. I'm not too big for anything. Probably, you know, we could just go off on a huge tangent to that person. Or you can say, huh, that's an emotion <laughs> that exists. I need to look into that and then commit yourself to finding out exactly where that trigger comes from and where that emotion comes from. And that's what detachment is. It's about not emotionally reacting to every little trigger. It's like being in a fight with somebody and just looking at them and saying, you can keep saying things about me, but it's really cute because you're actually projecting onto me how you feel about the situation and not actually what's going on in the situation. Um, you know, the phrase, um, there are what three sides of the truth, yours, mine, and the actual truth. Mm -hmm. And that's so incredibly true when it comes to detachment, because you have a truth, they have a truth, and then there's the reality of what's actually happening. And so that's why nothing is personal. Nothing anybody does to you is personal. And most of the time when people are doing things and it hurts you, they're doing, they're, they're actually committing to themselves to create their own energy and create their own choices. And so in turn, instead of you taking that personally, you say, okay, you're going to make these choices. You're going to create your own energy. You're going to create, you're going to manifest your own life over there. I'm going to do the same. And that's how you know who your people are, because when you start attracting new energies into your life because you decide, oh no, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to create and manifest my own reality because this person decided they wanted to do it. And we're just going to detach from that whole situation. And you start moving in another direction. You, cause you'll meet new people. You'll meet new energies. Everybody's so afraid to do their own thing and be their own person. Cause they're like, but what if I lose everybody in my life? But what if you do, you make space for new energies. You make space for new people in your life. This and is such, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just, it's such a huge concept to get your mind wrapped around. So for people that are hearing it for the first time, I'm with you. I get it. When I heard it for the first time too, I'm like, what? Uh, you know, but once you're able to let go of the ego portion, which, you know, again, is a whole nother conversation. Um, it's amazing, truly amazing the level of understanding you have and how you don't get triggered as easily. And if you do, you understand how to come back from it. You don't take things as personally. I'm somebody who's always been very sensitive, worry about what people say and think about me. But since learning this and being able to kind of dissect the relationships in my life and the people that have said certain things to me, I've become a better person, a different person. Um, and it's, it's truly valuable. So I will say you do teach a detachment course. So the next one you offer, I encourage everybody that's listening to take it because it will change your, your viewpoint on absolutely everything. Well, and I actually, I have a, um, a course coming up. Um, it'll be before, I think before this airs though, but I have a course coming up this weekend and then the same course is going to happen again at the first weekend in October and it's called cultivating your own fearless intuition. So I'll make sure to give you that information as well. Um, but it really is, it's, you know, 
um, uh, several hours of just breaking down the whole process of allowing yourself to commit and believe in who you are. And, um, you know, it, cause it's really not even about living your purpose at this point. It's about living in happiness. Um, because we have given our happiness away so much that, um, there is a, there's a need. I feel like this, we're almost kind of coming to a point in, in our lives where there's a need to get a little bit more selfish and not in the way where we're hurting other people on purpose. Cause that's the biggest thing. Like the reason why I take care of myself and the reason why I have spiritual self-care and I have mindfulness and I allow myself to make the time for myself is so I can help people. Because I know that my journey is about guiding other people through their spiritual journey, but I can't do that if I'm not at my best. And that's where we get really convoluted in the whole idea. You know, we work 60 hours a week at a job because we think that the more hours we put in, um, the more we're actually going to get accomplished. When in reality, if you allowed yourself to only work those 40 hours during the week, and use that other 20 hours to take care of yourself, but you're going to get more accomplished in those 40 hours than you think. And people are like, well, I don't understand that. And I say, just allow your energy to be different. Just allow yourself to have more energy, take better care of yourself. And I was that, I mean, I was that person. I would work until midnight every night. I would have my laptop and I was a single mom and I was working 60 hour weeks and, um, I thought I was doing it, but I was also always sick and I was always, you know, very bitter and very resentful and very angry. When is it my time? When is it my time? When is it my time? And then when I decided to make it my time, everybody start and people did fall off, fall out of my life over and over. I mean, and, and I, uh, several times I was like, oh my gosh, there's not going to be anybody left. But every time somebody would, would fall away somebody else would come into my life and they were very true to my self-care. And um, it's amazing the difference when you, when one person says they love you um, because of who you can be for them. And another person says, I love you just because you exist. Two completely different and I am an absolute prime example of all that. Like I'm beaming right now as you're talking because I was going to bring it up if you didn't. And of course you brought it up. <laughs> um, but no, since I learned attachment, since I learned to develop those healthy boundaries, I have let go of some people in my life. And that did make room for the most incredible people I've ever known in my life, the most supportive, understanding, non-judgmental people. And some of them I've never even met in person. Some of them I have this type of relationship where I'm talking to them by Zoom or over the phone or whatever, but I would trust them implicitly with my life over people I've known my entire life because yeah. we have that genuine connection. And some of it is based on mutual interests. And some of it is just a vibe. Some of it is just, we're meant to be connected. And our, my friendships don't feel one-sided at all. We're both committing to helping each other. And it's such an incredible gift and an amazing feeling. And I wish that for everybody, but it does take the recognition of what's currently going on in your life and what's not working and you being able to let go and trust that it's making way for something better. 
And it's really scary. I mean, I, I have had counseling sessions with, um, you know, I've, I've counseled women who are in uh, marriages. There was one day that I had two women back to back that I was, I was counseling who were in marriages where they're just not happy. And, and they kept on making excuses as to why they were still in it. And, um, I, I, uh, ask them the same questions. I'm like, why are you still in it? Why are you still allowing yourself? Why are you giving yourself that excuse? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And, and like the light bulb moments that they would have, you're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, well, we don't allow ourselves because we're so afraid to say, this isn't safe for me, but it feels safe because that's all we've known. That's the box that we've, we've lived in for so long. And the shift and the change, changes are scary. And because we feel like we have made the wrong choices for so long, we're like, oh my gosh, what if this is the wrong choice? And then that's when I challenge people, but what if it's the right choice? What if it's the choice that you were supposed to be making? Because I actually don't believe that there's a, there's a thing is right or wrong. <laughs> I believe that we just learn lessons in whatever choices that we're making in life. But you can make choices to detour around the directions that you're going in, those would be considered the wrong choices, the detour choices. And there's this acceptance that we sort of have to come to, like, would, do I want to live in happiness or do I want to live in a, an illusion of safety, right? Do I want to live, because happiness and freedom, you're actually more safe in than the illusion of being safe. So it's scary. It is a scary process to go to go through. And, 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 and I would encourage anybody that is starting that process or wants to start the process of changing and being able to um, commit to their self themselves a little bit more um, to have a spiritual guy or spiritual teacher through that. Or even if it's not a spiritual teacher, go find a therapist. Um, I tell people, you know, uh, of course I'm always open for that kind of stuff, for that kind of counseling stuff, but I'm not for everyone. So if it's not me, I would just suggest that it be somebody, choose somebody, because it is scary and you do need to be able to trust the person um, and know, because when you are changing 40 years of your life, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I guess this is what we're doing now. And, and I'm kind of at that point where, um, I, you, you, and you'll, everybody gets to this point. Um, I'm at that point where, uh, I ask myself on a daily basis when there's a conflict, is this worth disturbing my peace? Because I've created such a peaceful existence that there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that I will allow within my space to take that away from me. Because that's my kind of, like I said, you can't put me in a box. Don't give me rules. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think that's why you and I connected so much. And I can't agree more with everything you just said. And I was going to, again, suggest the same thing. And you got to it before me. But, <laughs> but it's just, it's true. If you have someone who, you know, or, or multiple people that you surround yourself with who are just a little bit more knowing, a little bit smarter than you, whatever, open your mind and they can teach you a lot. The way Betsy has been able to 
explain things to me or present things to me that in a way for some people might seem super obvious, but for me, it never clicked. I never got it until it was presented in this way. It's life-changing. It's mind-blowing. It's all of those things. And you almost become addicted to it. You're like, okay, now I understand why I've been this way my entire life or why I've reacted this way. And now I can make those steps to change it. But it is important to have some sort of teacher, guide, friend, whoever in your life to express your questions to, your thoughts, all of those things, because, you know, none of us are in this alone. (laughs) There are tons of us out there who understand the importance of this work and how it can change a life. So I have to thank you for that because literally before we even knew each other, you were doing that for me, just from watching your YouTube videos and all of those things, you were giving me those little light bulb moments. So if it's not a physical person, find someone you trust online who is giving information, you know, that resonates with you and, you know, just make yourself a part of the process. It's so rewarding. And again, like everything else, it doesn't happen overnight. For me, it's been a two-year plus journey, but it gets better. It gets better and better and better. And have there been roadblocks and, you know, things that have come up, of course, because that's life. It doesn't matter how high you vibrate, crap's going to happen to you. It's inevitable, but you change how you deal with it. Yes, absolutely. Well, and that's, that's called the flow, right? When we change how we deal with things, that's the flow. Because you're looking at the situations, not as if they're good or bad. You're looking at as it, you're looking at every single situation in life as what can I learn from this moment? What can I, what am I, what am I teaching myself? Because that's where you kind of get to. I'm the teacher where I'm like, I don't want you to depend on me forever. I want you to, um, you know, I'm, I'm holding your hand through this process, but ultimately you are your own teacher. And the only way that I can do my work really well is to find out what it is exactly what you, because we all have that brand. We all have a different kind of brand of self-care that we need, that we need. Um, Oh, my mind just went blank. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to do when we have a discussion like this. I mean, discussions like this can be pretty overwhelming, especially when, you know, you're sharing so much information with people that hopefully they're listening right now and they're going, Oh my, they're having their own wow moments. Like, okay, I get this, you know, okay. Uh, I understand. I mean, ultimately like that's, uh, that's my goal. Like I really hope that everybody kind of has that aha moment in their life where they're like, Oh my gosh, I can create my own happiness. I'm in control of my own happiness. That's amazing. Like that's, that would be wonderful. What other types of um, spiritual self-care or just self-care in general do you recommend for people? Well, one of the things that I really learned for myself, because when I was younger, I was very active. I was a dancer um, when I was younger, but I never was taught how to take care of myself in a physical way. And so, um, and I I was always kind of the, um, like, it's so bad, this term is horrible, but I was always kind of the skinny fat girl because I could like eat whatever I wanted, but that I would dance it all off later and it didn't matter. And um, I recognized, especially as I got older and I got closer to 40, that that was not going to fly for me anymore. And um, even in, even within my spirituality, even within my being 
a spiritual teacher, I was overworking myself and overworking myself. And, and this was just a couple of years ago when it dawned on me that even being spiritual, I was still overworking and that I needed to shift my energy and I needed to change um, so many aspects and so many things about myself. And so I started to learn about nutrition and I started to learn about what, you know, alkaline, you know, like re, re uh, setting my body and re-alkalizing my body and um, eating healthier and working out. And I am not a person that liked to run. I'm not a person that liked to work out. It was not something like, I was like, the only way that you were ever going to see me run is if somebody was chasing me. <laughs> no Same way. here. Same yeah. here. <laughs> and um, so, so I, I, again, committed to myself <laughs> to, uh, I made a plan and because that, that's what I work real, well off of, but I actually found out that I was much sicker than I really was. I had worked myself kind of into a hole and I was much sicker than I was. And um, by changing my diet and by, you know, just starting off with like walking, I started off walking a half a mile every day and then it went up to a mile and now I jog up to two miles every day. So it was a process that I had to go through because I was so bad off in the, in the beginning. Um, but at least I did it. And that's really part of spiritual self-care because spirit, because we have this vessel um, and I was also, a, I, I did a lot of theology stuff in my youth as well. And, and I remember learning about how um, my body was my vessel and I had to treat it as such. And I thought that was the silliest notion. I was like, whatever, like I was made in the image of God. And it's like, that's really silly. I'm a woman. Why would I be made in the image of a man? That kind of thing. Right. And it didn't, it didn't occur to me what that actually meant until I really started taking care of my vessel because I cannot do my job if I don't have energy and in a physical way, not just the, you know, not just the energy that I hold, but also in a physical way, if I, because I was sleeping all the time and I was sick all the time. And so I would say part of spiritual self-care is to, and there's, there's no, there's no um, one diet. I don't even like to use the word diet. I think it's silly. There's no one program. There's no, you know, you can be on keto, you can be on, you know, no carb, you can, whatever it is, whatever works for your body, whatever works for you in order to feel healthier, to have more energy, to allow yourself to do that. Um, that's part of spiritual self-care. And I know that, um, that, there's going to be um, more of that coming up <laughs> um, in the future. But um, I think that when we see our bodies as a spiritual temple, it's a lot easier to be able to commit to ourselves um, being healthier, having a healthier lifestyle. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't indulge. You know, I still have my ice cream when I want to or whatever, but I don't do it to the point, you know, I don't do fried on top of fried on top of fried on top of ice cream. You know what I mean? It's like, and unfortunately that's something I probably would have done <laughs> because I'm a Midwest girl and I like my fried chicken and my ice cream. <laughs> if it's fried on a stick, we love it. <laughs> we really do. And that's so funny. Well, you did mention that 
growing up, you weren't necessarily taught how to physically take care of your vessel. And I'm sure you weren't necessarily taught mindfulness and meditation and all of those things. So for all the parents listening out there that are interested in introducing these things to their children, what recommendations do you have? So, um, one of the things, and I mean, I will fully, I will fully admit that I don't push certain concepts onto my children because I want them to find out that they're every, everybody has lessons right in life and everybody is on their own journey. And that even includes our, our children. Um, the biggest thing that I would do, I would say to parents is set an example. You set the tone for what your child is seeing on it. Your, you know, your child is brand new. They don't have the information. They're learning new things. They're the sponge every single day. They're learning something new about you and about the world and about how to live. And when we set the tone, meaning when we're more mindful, when we're eating healthier, when we're drinking water, when we're running, when we're doing this, when we're doing that. And I wish I would have known that when my older two boys were younger, because I could have maybe instilled a little more um, discipline, I guess, when it comes to that, when they were younger. But um, I think the biggest thing is to honestly is, is to not push it on your children, but just setting the example and setting the tone. Um, because that's one of the things that, you know, it's the same thing with religion in my, in my opinion, the same thing with religion. Uh, you know, I tell my kids, this is what I believe. And I know that there's a whole world out there and there's a whole bunch of belief systems out there, but I want you to resonate with what you believe and what you want to do. And, um, I don't want it to come from any other source, but your own. And, and that's what I would tell parents because, um, often we try to mold our children into a journey that we want to see for them instead of looking at them as totally separate human beings, because there's the detachment, right? Like I, you know, it's very hard sometimes to watch your child go through something really, really hard because it triggers you and you don't want, you know, but that trigger that you have is a wound that you're holding for yourself, not necessarily the wound that your child is holding. So when we see our children as completely separate individuals and completely separate humans, and we say their journey is their own, but I can set the tone for it. I can set, I can be the example and then they're going to flow and go and do and whatever, right? Um, that's the biggest challenge, I think, for parents these days is not trying to control your child's journey and um, just being there when they need you and, and setting the, the schedules and the responsibilities and, and all of that. And, and when you, because if you're not setting the example, if you're saying you have to do this and then you turn around and do something completely different, the hypocrisy, they're going to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll take that one step further beyond children, because I think that's another huge message of just being the example. If you're, you know, living your best life that you can, you're doing practices like meditation, people are going to see that they're going to see the difference in you. And maybe they'll ask you questions about it and you can impart some wisdom on them. And that continues the ripple across the world of making everybody more mindful and more self-aware. And hopefully in the end, we treat ourselves better and other people. Fingers (laughs) crossed. I think that's the message of all of this right now. You know, the the earth has definitely uh, woke up a lot, especially Mm -hmm. over this last six months 
to, you know, the amount of hatred that can be in this world, how horrible we can treat each other. But there is a bigger part of the population, I believe, I have to believe that, that believes you know, that we all want to see the good in people and we want to be there to support each other and cheer each other on. And that's the message I want to share here with everybody too, is that all of this that we're talking about, start with yourself, Mm -hmm. make yourself vibrate higher. And that is going to ripple across everywhere else. And that's how we become the change. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the biggest things that I've always had to remind myself being a spiritual teacher, because I just wish that I could save everybody from themselves all the time, um, is that I can't, I can't save everybody. They have to be the ones, they have to be the ones that are responsible for their energy to save themselves. And the more we, um, are being that example and showing, well, how do I do that? How do I save myself from myself? be the example for it. And, um, so that's, that's, that's a really good point. A huge, huge, huge point. And, um, not worrying about other people's journeys, not worrying about what the person next door is doing, or the person down the street is doing, not worrying about the way other people are seeing you. Um, and just focusing on yourself. Um, and I would even challenge the people that are listening right now, turn your TV off for a week and see how much better you feel at the end. Don't watch the news. Don't even watch the local. I mean, as much as I love, I love some of our local news. Like, I'm not saying you guys are bad. I love you guys. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just, there's so much going on right now um, that we, we are being shown to believe. <laughs> Like, I don't want to get into that whole conversation. Well, but, 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 but it's right. We, you choose the information you digest. Yeah. And if that means, you know, I did the same thing, you know, when this whole pandemic started, I watched the news every single day, all day. And what was bad about it, it was repeating the same information all day long. There was no new information, but I felt the need because what if I missed something? And I learned very quickly what that was doing to my mental health, my physical health all of that. I was feeling gross and horrible and just deflated. So I stopped. And the thing with um, television and news programs and all of that, they're only showing you the stuff that's going to give the most views. Mm -hmm. So they're not, there's a lot of stuff that we're not even seeing that's actually happening. The good things, right? There are even good things that are happening in this world that aren't being shown on the news because who wants to hear about the good stuff? They want to hear about the drama and the, the, all the, the, the traumatic stuff that's going on. Um, and I think that we've sort of just been um, uh, groomed to believe that that's the stuff that we need to listen to. So I would, I would challenge everybody who's listening to this to just turn your TV off for a week and see how you feel. And I guarantee you when you turn it back on, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I didn't need to. And you turn it right back off again. That's what I do. I haven't Honestly, I don't remember the last time I watched the news. It's been... I mean, I stay in the know. Like, I all, you know, I know what the highlights are going on in the yeah. world, but I don't subject myself to watching hours upon hours on end of, yeah. you know, hearing the same regurgitated stories over and over again. It yeah. just isn't helpful. 
you know, and that's something I say to myself all the time. If it isn't helpful, I don't need it. So I make sure that I know what's going on. I'm not ignorant to world events, but at the same time, going back to self-care, you have to take care of yourself. And if you recognize that that's a trigger for you, mm-hmm. trigger is a big word for me. I, I've got a lot of triggers in the news, just negative TV in general is one of them. So guess what? That's what that little remote's for. You hit that power button. Yes. You don't got to worry about it anymore. Yes. <laughs> if you find yourself wanting to throw things at the television, that is a cue for you to turn it off. That is very true. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have any last bits of wisdom you would like to leave our listeners and be kind to yourself like I think that the biggest thing right now is that we need to really 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 remember to be kind to our souls um because we I'm I've coined the phrase the love revolution (laughs) recently because I feel like that's what we're moving into. If you are not loving yourself and you're not being kind to your soul and you're not saying kind things in your mind to yourself and you're, you know, that you're, you're beating yourself up on a regular basis, you're not going to feel good about the next step that you're taking. And um, so just remember to be kind to yourself. And in turn, you will be kind to others. The more you love yourself, the more you're going to love others and so on and so forth. And can you imagine that if you love others as much, then they begin to be kind and the love revolution just blows up. That would be fantastic. You heard it here first, everybody. It's Betsy's love revolution (laughs) coming soon. (laughs) Thanks for joining me today. You always have the best things to say in the best ways, you know, you certainly have been my spiritual teacher and hopefully will continue to be. And, you know, hopefully with everybody listening, check out Betsy's website at fearless intuition, fearless intuition.net. I'll get it out eventually and follow her on YouTube as well. And I will be back next week with more self-care for September. Talk to you soon. Remember your thoughts become your reality. You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.